Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Healing Snowflake. It's me, Jenny, your host. If you've watched my other content before, you will know by now that the purpose of this podcast is for us to learn, unlearn and relearn through other people and their experiences. We are teachable, knowledge is infinite and we're gonna get through this roller coaster that we call life together. So, I'm trying to find God. This is a conversation that I seem to be having with more and more of you recently. Those of us who want to explore our capacity to experience God and wondering how faith can be relevant in our lives. It all can get a bit overwhelming and people need things to be explained as simply as possible and by people I mean me. Family, I would like to introduce you to my wonderful guest, Reverend Bridget. Hello, Hello Reverend. Now, I just want to sing your praises for a minute, if that's okay. Um, I've known you for a little while uh, because you do worship in the secondary school that I work in. Um, I find you very engaging and relatable and just so kind. And <clears throat> what you do is you break down your faith into bite-sized pieces and it's just very easy to understand and that's why I really wanted to have this talk with you today um but most of all I actually really admire the way you dress oh thanks <laughs> because you're always in colorful floral dresses and outfits and I just think that you're so cool oh thank you um and your demeanor is like I said very gentle very kind and um, I'd like to you to talk your, about yourself a little bit, if that's okay. So uh, could you tell us about your background and how you came to be the woman that you are today? Yeah, great question. Um, and also, I love the title, uh, Healing Snowflake. Oh, I didn't realise a podcast was called that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was born in Bristol mm. and uh, grew up there till I was about 14. My parents are not Christians, but apparently when I was five years old, I asked if I could be baptized, christened. Okay. Same um, same thing, just different words. Mm. Um, I reckon maybe at the time that we'd visited, our primary school had like visited the local church and whether it just caught my imagination. So my parents took me along, well, my mum took me along to church with my younger brother and I was baptized when I was five. And then I was just kind of growing up going to church. I don't recall that it was, was a big thing in my life. Mm. Um, I don't think I thought about it. I just did it like going to dance lessons. Mm. But then when I was 12, uh, we were in Sunday school in like a drafty church hall and um, we were singing a song and it was kind of a contemporary song, contemporary worship song for the time. Um, and I just started crying. And I was kind of embarrassed because I was with a bunch of other 12, 13, 14 year olds. Um, I look back, I don't think anything major was happening in my life. Mm. I hadn't been searching for God. I didn't have any big life questions. But as we were singing, I just had this profound sense that God was there and real. And also that the story of Easter, Jesus' death and resurrection, that it was real and it changed everything. So I had this crazy moment and then um, maybe a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, I went to a sort of Christian festival retreat thing and um, there were people who were running a program for young people. I was 12, 13 mm. and there was an opportunity to basically say, I want to choose to be a Christian. And at that point, I, I did that. 
But I guess I look back and think it really came to life for me in that crazy moment of mm. just crying. Mm. Um, but in that point where I chose to be a Christian, I also remember looking at these other, these young adults on the stage who are running this program for teenagers and thinking that is what I'm going to do with my life. Like if I am a Christian, it will, it's going to be everything for me that I will do that to share faith with others. Mm. If you had said to me at that point, Jenny, um, so you're going to be a vicar, I would have been horrified <laughs> by that prospect because for me, that's something that looked dry, conservative, mm. I, it's just not what I would have been drawn to. So um, I then got to 18, went to school as normal, flatly refused to go to university because I had this conviction that I wanted to go and um, share my faith with others. Mm. So I ended up working for a Christian charity called Youth for Christ um, and worked with them for a few years. And it was basically doing Christian youth work and um, 12 years in youth ministry. And then there came a point, by then I'd, my husband I've met my husband when I was I met him when I was 19 actually I got married at 21 mm. he was also in Christian youth work and then we started a family and at that point I suddenly thought oh I I'm no longer cool for the teenagers like I have more in common yeah. with their parents than with them and so somebody people started saying to me have you thought about um becoming a vicar and again I resisted it to start with but then over time I describe it as like taking clothes off a rack the sort of clothes you would never wear and I would never wear a suit for example mm. I felt like putting on a suit something really formal and then looking in the mirror and going actually it fits mm. and it looks okay can I so. just ask how uh, common were, were women vicars at that time so um at that point what was it, it was 1989 I think for me when faith mm. came to life and at that point women couldn't be ordained as priests yeah, in the church yeah. of england um I, I don't think that was really on my radar i don't think i even knew that so mm. i i would actually go so far as to say i had such a an experience of god as i would yes, that's the way i'd frame yeah. it that it didn't really matter what was possible or not possible at that time i just felt called and therefore mm. had a conviction somehow that god would make that feasible so yeah, and I mean, later on then, obviously, by the time I started to really explore the idea of being a vicar, that I'd seen lots of other women sort of um, go on that path ahead right. of me. Okay. And to be fair, for many of those women, it was a really difficult journey. Um, and they received a lot of opposition, sometimes quite abusive behaviour. Mm. Some women received a great deal of support. Um, but I guess I come in that second wave where I didn't have to fight the battle to get there. Um, but I inherit the the freedom that perhaps they they have fought for for wow. me it's very um, interesting so how old how old were you when you officially became so i got ordained okay. when i was so i started training when i was 30 at that time my daughter was two my son was nine months old mm. so it was a bit of a crazy time mm, and imagine. you basically do a, a degree course theology degree um and then i was ordained at 32 so wow. yeah that's amazing. Yeah. Because I'm 33 now. Okay. And I'm thinking about your age there, where w what you've achieved at that time. That's really inspiring. Um, thank you for that. Um, I just want to talk about myself a little bit yeah, as well. Yeah, please if that's do. Because okay, I, I want to find some um, commonality when it comes to our childhoods and growing up through yeah. religion. So um, I grew up in the Philippines. Um, I moved here to England when I was 10. 
uh, Christianity was very present in my life. Yeah. Um, when I was in the Philippines, my grandmother was very re- religious, and uh, and then I was brought up when my grandmother passed away. I bo- I was brought up by my auntie, and uh, my auntie and my uncle um, were not uh, really. I mean, they had um, faith in their lives for sure, but. My uncle's mum, who I called my, who I then started to call my grandmother at the time, she was the person I remember. Uh, she passed away at recently, actually. She was the person that took made made sure that I went to church with her every Sunday. Yeah. Made sure that I went to Sunday school. She um, made sure that my auntie and my mum communicated with my mum to make sure that I went into a Christian school. Wow. And. I never missed a, I, I remember I never missed a day of prayer. You know, it was um, yeah. very, very present in my life. And then I, my mom lived in England and she brought me over when she was, t- and so she married my stepdad, had my little sister, and then she brought me over from the Philippines. So the culture shock in itself was, you know, immense. But my stepdad was, I wouldn't say that he was an atheist, but he yeah. was definitely a person who didn't, consider faith at all in his life he just said things are the way they are because you know that's just yeah you know that's just how it is and he was very into science as well and he didn't really influence me uh, force me to um, believe what he believed but mm. you know there was um prayer going to church all that kind of disappeared from my life and yeah um, as well my mother worked practically seven days a week there was no time for my lifestyle before really and yeah and then I kind of spent all my teenage years not really thinking about God in any way and now that I'm an adult I just sort of everything's just kind of changed for me as an adult and I'm having more and more conversations with everyone and I think as I've got older, um, it's allowed me to approach religion with an open mind and nuance. Yeah. And I'll dive into some questions that people have sent in because it's questions that I definitely want to ask for myself. Yeah. And yeah, so that's my story with. So right now, I wouldn't say that I am a Christian person because I feel like I, there's so much still for me to learn. Yeah. I mean, I know the very basics, but now it's kind of fi- finding, because I'm always trying to search for the truth. And then sometimes I think to myself, well, what is the truth, Danny? Do you know, do yeah. you know what the truth is? And I have conv- I have a lot of um, Christian friends and they, um, we have a lot of um, conversations and they actually said to me, listen, why don't you find a vicar mm. who you can have this conversation with? Because he or she will go into depth into it with you so that's why you're here today great and obviously like i said you're one of the coolest um reverends i've ever met (laughs) and can i ask you a question i know you've got the questions but um what was the trigger to making you start thinking about god again can you identify one um i will dive into that but okay you know how you said that you had a lot of um this deep feeling of profoundness and that yeah i get so amazed by the vastness of life like the universe yeah. and everything and i ask myself questions like this cannot be a coincidence yeah and because if i don't believe in anything if i don't be believe in a creator then this yeah. must all just be a coincidence and yeah. that's kind of the conversations that i've had with my stepdad and, and he's 
a funny he was a funny guy he passed away unfortunately five years ago and he was uh he always approached things with humor and he would just say jenny it is what it is don't yes. overthink it yeah. you know but he's like no but i want answers now yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah but it's definitely i'm just i'm a very curious person naturally anyway yeah. so i'm just exploring sounds good at the moment and learning obviously so um a lot of people sent in questions and I noticed a pattern with okay. the questions and a lot of it involved um, around prayer. Yeah. So can I ask for you, did praying come easily for you? No. <laughs> can you tell me why? I think, I think part of that is to do with the way I was initially taught about prayer. Mm. So I would say I grew up, so as a teenager, where prayer was about me making the effort to talk to God. Yeah. But in practice, if you had listened in, you would have heard a one-sided conversation with me listing the things that I was taught to do, you know, praise God, thank God, yeah. um, <coughs> confess my sins, um, pray for others. And... I think I probably got caught in a cycle of trying to have a conversation that was not in my, let's say, first language, right. natural language, yeah. and then feeling guilty or haven't managed to do mm. it in the way that I've been taught to do it. I reckon it has taken over 30 years to really liberate my thinking about prayer because fundamentally, I guess, it, it is finding connection with God. Mm. And for some people, that connection can be in words and for some it isn't. If you have um, a friend or a partner, you can feel connected to them, sometimes because you're having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation, yeah. sometimes because you're sitting side-by-side side at the cinema and holding hands. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be speaking. Um, sometimes because you simply are grateful to be together and you know that you love each other. And there is an ease in just being in their presence. You don't have to put it into words. Mm -hmm. And so I think... For my own kind of pattern of prayer, in the morning I take my dog for a walk and, I, and those are the times where I want to talk to God about the things I'm concerned about. So, for example, there are some people in my congregation that I'm consistently praying for on a daily basis because of some needs in their life. And the driver, for, it's not hard to do that prayer because I care about them. So I instinctively want to say, God, I'm bringing these people before mm. you. Um, often in that dog walk prayer time, I am praying for the stuff that's in my diary for today. This morning, I've been praying about this podcast. Mm. Um, and sometimes I pray with others. So every Wednesday, a small group of us gather at church. We pray together. That prayer is easier because others are there and it's like a, the discipline of mm. being together. And also we say, what do you want to pray for? So people are like, well, this week in the news this is what's happening, let's pray for that person, these mm. families, that situation. So that feels easy because it's collective. Mm. But for me, the most valuable prayer is the prayer where I feel like I have really plugged into God. And it, you know, if you use the analogy of like the phone battery, you know, kind of plugging your phone in and just feeling connected and recharged. Yeah. The way that works for me at the moment, and this may sound completely bonkers, is if I do yoga, which I love doing, mm because I like the physicality, I find that in the stretches and then in the stillness and in the breathing, I really connect with God. So a lot of stuff with yoga is talking about um, uh, focusing on the breath coming in. So when, when you're talking to 
being asked to breathe in deeply, I just use a YouTube video. I talk, I basically say to God, I am breathing in your spirit. And when you ask to breathe out slowly, I'm like, I am letting go of the things mm. that are, I guess, brokenness in me. Mm. And at the end of a session of yoga where you're just invited to, to lie in the, the corpse pose, as it's called, mm. it's like a deep stillness comes over me. Now, there'd be some Christians that go, hang on a minute, but isn't this like from a different kind of perspective? It, that's not Christian. Like meditating. That's right. Mm. But these things are all in the ancient Christian tradition. Mm. And what I'm saying is I'm using my body and my breath to still myself mm. before God. And when I get up off the yoga mat, I feel this inner sense of it's like everything has just been put back together. Right. I can't connectedness mm. connectedness with myself but mm. with god as well so i'm very clearly saying to god meet me in this time and yeah and i because i'm quite a busy person i'm a driven person find it hard to be still but that really helps me plug into god mm. so a few weeks ago my head was whirling with stuff you know if you've had a difficult conversation i obsessively go over it and, yeah. and like that mix of emotions i wish i said that i'm angry yeah. they said that got onto the yoga mat and it's just like half an hour later I've mm. just calmed down and, I, mm. and it's like I got up I'm like yes God has mm. found me and has held me mm. um, so that that's how so that sounds crazy but the point I'm making is we have to find our language with God mm. so I know for some people meditation is the thing right so they'll take a phrase, mm. the, the well-known phrase is um, uh, Lord Jesus. Oh, one of them, I mean, sometimes mm. it's come Lord Jesus um, or Lord Jesus have mercy on me. Mm. Um, God, anything, you can choose your own phrase. So you take that practice of meditation, use it to connect with God. Some people follow a disciplined thing. Um, and I yeah. think I, I see a pattern with how, how you're trying to describe it because we talked about a bit about this earlier and it's being comfortable in cultivating silence isn't yeah. it yeah and i think a lot of people really find that hard because their brain is going a hundred miles an hour yeah anxiety plays a part in it and it's yeah you can't so for example if you want to pray about something yeah how do you get into that space where you are only thinking about that and yeah. you're asking God that and I think people are finding that very very hard yeah and I, I can't sit still to pray I mm. can if I'm with others but if you ask me to sit still in a chair and be quiet mm. I can't mm. I can if, if I'm using my body touch with it mm -hmm. it's almost like you feel a bit silly doing it yeah I just I just can't yeah. sit still I mean mm. um so I if you said sit still and be quiet mm. I couldn't but I can mm. with yoga and when I walk the dog I'm walking and I can mm. pray, but mm. I cannot sit still and pray. See, this is one thing that also um, when we're talking about gratitude. Yeah. That is one thing that I know has been missing from my life. Because before it was pray before you eat, yeah. pray before you go, before you sleep, pray. Yeah. Um, pray when you wake up that you've opened your eyes. and yeah. And the thing is, if you're not, feeling gratitude about those things then you are just in robot mode yeah if that makes sense and you just yeah you, you just see things that oh it, it is what it is and mm. i think there is value in call it a discipline of prayer it's a discipline i, I think there is value in that you are training yourself mm. so for example i mean i don't actually say grace before meals but mm. there is a discipline in that of training yourself to be mm. grateful for the food and to be aware mm. of what you have and what others mm. don't and it's um, also, I think, as well, you know, a, a big, 
a major point about praying is that you are extending your love to others because I heard yeah the word prayer I'd never heard the word prayer so much until my stepdad got sick because okay. he uh, he died from cancer and in the last few months of his life I kind of told I was a bit quiet with my friends about telling them what was going on with me and they but they knew that my my stepdad was sick and yeah. that he um apart from my grandmother but I don't really remember when my grandmother passed away because I was little but as an adult this was my first experience um experience of loss as an adult and I remember so many people were saying I'll pray for you yeah. I'll pray for him and I just felt so awashed with kindness and yeah. I never felt that yeah kindness in my whole life and, th and I just think that's people because they can't give me kindness and compassion in their hand like you know give yeah. it to me as an object so the only way the way that they're extending that to me is prayer yeah and that meant so much to me at the time and I remember my stepdad of some fa um, family members who were Christian came to visit him and he was very skeptical about the Bible and prayer mm. and all that stuff and I just remember I saw him being completely open to all of it and they was like we want to say a prayer for you want you wow. and they were reading the bible to him and he just listened and i thought i don't want to get to that stage where i'm realizing that there's actually some truth in this yeah at my last stage because that's what, what was happening to him yeah and i at, when i uh, tried to have that conversation with him unfortunately he was too sick to speak yeah. So, but I knew that he felt different. I just yeah. knew it. I could see it in his eyes. Yeah. Um, and there's something interesting yeah. in that as well about, in that point, you know, prayer is not just a thing you do. I mean, sure, yeah, you can be praying for someone who's unwell, mm. but it's also connecting you to them. Yes. Um, so there's this idea somehow in prayer that we connect to God and we're also connected to another person mm. too. Um and I often think you don't necessarily have to have the words for, for those prayers. Mm. So when we say, I'm praying for you, some people do sit down and say, dear God, please can this happen and this happen and this happen. But I think sometimes it's like holding people in your heart where, and I find this throughout the day, people just, I see something that, that triggers me to think of somebody who I'm concerned about. And then it's mm. like, I just, they're in my heart. And sometimes the prayer is like, oh Lord, you know? I, and and I, I don't think God, requires us to vocalize the specifics of it in order for that mm. prayer to be it heard or answered organically doesn't it yeah organic is a great yeah. word but there's something going on let's call it in the unseen spiritual realm because i do think there is a spiritual aspect to life mm. that somehow we're holding people in our hearts and we're connecting to god and we're connecting to them and then you feel that so you feel you felt held right by people in I mean, that time definitely yeah definitely. The, and the love is manifested mm. so yeah it's just whenever and the thing is now that i've i'm attaching god into that very very sad part of my life it's yeah. it almost makes it a little bit grieving a little bit easier okay because i just i think about the kindness that people showed me back wow. then um so a lot of the questions that i received was people are finding it hard to pray because they don't know how to articulate God. So one of the questions was, do you have a way of articulating God when you are praying and worshiping mm. that recognizes him as a triune God? 
So Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And do you always use that language when you pray? So um, I, I can't, I've, I've reworded a lot of people's questions, but I think what everyone yeah. was trying to say is that actually one of um, my friends, um, one of my girlfriends who said that, do I find it really hard to pray to a father because her father yep. let her down so much in her life and yep. she didn't have a male role model yeah at all really in her life and that's why she finds it very hard to yeah, pray absolutely and and that to me makes total sense mm. and if if someone were to labor no you should pray to father i'm kind of like how is that helpful i, I don't think that is helpful so these are all to some extent, pictures of God. Um, I, I don't really understand, you know, when we say God is Father, does, does that mean God is a man? I mean, I find that very problematic. But if that doesn't, if that way of approaching God doesn't work, then I think don't use it. Um, I find the person of Jesus very helpful because I guess Jesus for me looks like how it is to be really human, almost. If I could become fully myself, I would be me, absolutely. I wouldn't be a carbon copy of Jesus, but there is something about Jesus. So, and and the spirit, helpful, the idea, yeah, I, I, that God is present mm. at all times in all places. I guess for me, I find creator God a helpful phrase, mainly because I find the natural world is one of the ways I connect with God. Mm. There's no gender attached to creator so either. So you don't have an image of a man in your head? No way. I'm too much of a ranty feminist for that, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> I would find that... Um, no, I, I don't... I, That's very interesting, Jesus actually. prayed, uh, you know, uh, our father in heaven right. because God was his father. There is some there there is something about that relationship that of mm. of being Jesus came from the Father and the closest image we have of that is a parent bringing a right, child to exactly. life right yeah. whether it's father or yeah. mother in that instance and actually the Bible talks about God in various places as mother now I've got a number of Christian friends who would address God as Mother God mm. because I've grown up in the church for thirty five years calling God Father. I find that uh, an adjustment to make. But I have noticed recently I've, I'm using more gender neutral language about God, partly because actually I know a number of people who are now describing themselves in gender neutral terms as they. And and if God is three persons in one God, they is actually an entirely appropriate yeah. uh, piece of language for God. Yeah. And in Genesis chapter one, the, the story of creation, um, God says, let us make them, as in people, in our image. Two lots of gender neutral language. Really interesting. So so I, I would just choose a, a, la a phrase that's helpful. Some, some people, you know, yeah, creator God, sustainer God, redeemer God, mm. loving God, sending God. I, I would just choose a, um, what a descriptive word. Mm. Yeah. But the idea that that, language should exclude people from the presence of God I do not think that that is what God wants I think God invites us mm. if there is father son and spirit that is a relationship so God is a relationship and we're invited into that relationship it is a, a relationship that is open and seeks to include not to exclude 
So if the language your father excludes, I don't think God is bothered if we use it or not. The, the point is, so whether you use language of family, family is problematic for some people. I was literally talking about this at school this morning in, in mm. the assembly. Whether it's the image of friendship, teammates, right, whatever. Right. But if you've got three persons of God and God is inviting us in, mm. choose the picture that's helpful for you. Interesting. So just at church a few weeks ago, I used the analogy of um, walking past the pub on a sunny afternoon and seeing a friend with two others in the pub garden, like beckoning to you, come and join us, come and join us, you know, and you get there and they pull up a chair and they make room for you and a glass appears and they pour you a glass of whatever you like drinking. But that for me is what God is like. If God is three persons, it, it, it's being gathered into that relationship and drawn in. Um, mm. and, and there's something about prayer then is about mm. presence, just being present with God. Um, yeah that's very interesting and the thing is I think also we become fixated in thinking about God in abstract terms yeah and you need to kind of come out of that and yeah. realize that you are it's the surrender isn't it the surrender to actually think about yeah God outside of what you what you thought that he was yeah he they was yeah you know in the first place and yeah, that's very interesting, and I'm and I'm actually and the thing is with all this gender neutral pronoun stuff that's going on at the moment, I'm I battle with that, uh, and in terms of modern society. But now that you're explaining it in religious terms, it's made me sort of kind of understand mm. what where you're coming from. And I'm so glad that you understood exactly what what I said when I said that my friend has yeah. a difficult relationship with her father, and yeah. that makes it very difficult for yeah. her to pray. And and then you know God. if if we if we're only describing God as Father, it is impossible not to combine because the yeah. language is the same. It's impossible not. I've people have said to me before, oh, but God's different. God's the perfect Father, but actually none of us have perfect fathers. So how do you imagine something if you've not really seen it? Right. So that's why yeah. I say people get stuck with this stuff, and I. Mm. I just think God wants us to draw near. So whatever helps us to draw and the near. Thing is, I feel like um, atheists believe that religious people have this certain image in their head yeah. about who God is and what. And the thing is, you're still exploring it at, as it's still evolving <sighs> as well. It's still evolving and, right now. And absolutely. So it does my faith look and sound the way it sounded 10 years ago? No, it's different. It's different to 20 years ago. Mm. And again, I think faith should continue to grow and evolve because surely as people, there's part of who we are, some characteristics, they will never change in our lifetime. That's kind of, you know, if someone's stubborn, they've always been stubborn. Mm. But I do think we should grow. And also I change as a person, my experiences shape me, the world changes. Therefore that I bring all of that into my faith and that shapes how I think about God. And then I think God shapes how I think about the world mm. and I think about myself. So it's always in this constant evol evolution and interaction. Well, this slips nicely into my next um, topic, which is science okay. and religion. So I don't know if this is a loaded question, but do you think science and religion can be compatible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there are, there are plenty of sort of eminent scientists who are Christians. I... I I think I understand why the two were set up in opposition to each other and mm. maybe 
uh, perhaps 200 years ago, the Enlightenment thinking uh, developed and then, and, and maybe um, faith or spirituality is seen to be um, something that's not so uh, intellectual, yeah. evolved, it's more instinctive rather than informed. I honestly feel that's a false division and I, I'm not convinced that's how we are anymore. And the other thing is, if you go to other parts of the world, that is not what people think. Mm. So I'm going to suggest too, that is a particularly Western view that somehow um, the life of the spirit and the life of science are incompatible. Because my understanding is in other parts of the world, there is a sense that the spirit is powerfully present in mm. all things. Mm. It's not like, and, and we have this division, the spiritual part of my life is this little package here that's done in private or possibly in a church building on a Sunday. Oh, and the rest of it's not spiritual. I, I don't think that's mm. true because you can have all sorts of moments where you feel a powerful connection to another person mm. or even to the universe, mm. if you, to the world around you. So, so, and so I think, that's, I think it's quite an unhelpful division. And the other thing is, do I think the world was created in seven days? Of course I don't. I think that was a, a fabulous story, yeah. telling us a story about our origins. And many cultures have stories about their origins mm. and there is some correlation mm. between them and there are some differences. Mm. And for the Christian story, the important thing is, what is different about this story? Therefore, what, what's being said about Christianity? So I'm happy to get on board with a concept like evolution um, and, and all sorts of other ideas. I'm terrible at science, I can't lie, Jenny. But, Me too. But, but, I, but I do. I don't I, find it problematic. Yeah. I, and I also, yeah. there's a great sense of wonder mm. and complexity in the world. And I think, I think as well, when people um, think about science and religion, they automatically think, I need it to be divisive. God is distant and I live in space and time. Yeah. And, but you want, I, I just feel like it's not... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, In, I think it's integrated, but... Um, yeah, and I I'm, I mean, I've always enjoyed learning everything about... The, uh, learning everything that's about that science has to offer. Yeah. But for me, I just... It never satisfies me. Okay. Because, for example, science can tell me how a flower grows. It can tell me all the different chemicals, the photosynthesis, the amount of sunlight that it requires. Yeah. But it never tells me why. Yeah. Why is it happening? Yeah. And I'm the kind of person that needs answers to everything. Yeah. And that's the thing, even when, because my stepdad was very into science. Yeah. And he, and he had that attitude of, it is, and you know, mate, he believed in the Big Bang Theory. And I was like, okay, so for example, say the Big Bang Theory happened, as yeah. you say it, and maybe it did, but why did it happen? Yeah. Because you, well, you, you're not giving me that answer and I need, you mm. know, and, and he's just like, well, because it just did. And but it's like, but that's yeah. you ruling out a creator. And yeah. that doesn't, to me, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Do you see where I'm coming from? And also going back to your idea of the flower, you can understand what a flower is and how it grows. Yeah. But there is something about beauty. If that flower speaks to you somehow, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, and I don't mean it speaks to you. What I mean is if you just think that is so beautiful, mm. how do you quantify that? What does that mean? What is, what's the meaning of beauty? Where does it come from? Yeah. Why, why does beauty matter to us and move mm. us and feel important in our humanity? Yeah. So, yeah. And, 
I have a lot of friends who are very into science and I have um I have a friend who gave me this book and she works in um a scientific field and okay. she explores all these things and she she gave me this book and because she she's like Jenny you ask way too many questions and you get so deep into things and she said this will explain a, this book explains a lot of things okay so it's called biocentricism I don't know if you've heard of it how life and consciousness are the keys to understanding the true nature of the universe and literally the fourth page I was like I'm already no I'm already like thinking no this this can't be that this is not because you're saying she's an atheist and she said she fully believes that she's a hundred percent yeah scientific with everything and I said how can you read something like this and think that rule out a creator that doesn't make sense to me so the seventh page right I can see you've highlighted yeah, it yeah I've highlighted it and yeah. I, I want to read it to you because this made me realize okay how can you possibly think that this is a coincidence okay so in the last few decades there has been considerable discussion of a basic paradox in the construction of the universe as we know it why are the laws of physics exactly balanced for animal life to exist for example if the big bang had been one part in a million more powerful it would have rushed out too fast for the galaxies and life to develop if the strong nuclear force were decreased 2%, atomic nuclei, nuclei wouldn't hold together and plain vanilla hydrogen would be the only kind of atom in the universe. If the gravitational force were decreased by a hair, stars, including the sun, would not ignite. These are just three of more than 200 physical parameters within the solar system and universe so exact that it strains credulity to propose that they are random, even if that is exactly what standard contemporary physics boldly suggests. So when I read something like mm. that, I'm thinking to myself, even the person, Robert Lanza, who wrote this book, is telling me that you cannot rule out a creator. Because think, how can, how can I read something like, if, we, if it were decreased by a hair, stars including the sun would not ignite? You know, it's just yeah. too exact and specific for all of this to happen. What do you think about... Again, it makes me wonder. I mean, absolutely. And also, science that ruled out the possibility of something sounds like bad science, as in surely the disposition mm -hmm. of a scientist is to be curious, open, open to something unexpected. I suppose my question is, what has happened in our world that it has become um, incredulous to believe that God might be part of the world. That I find, you know, why... Could you, could you, um, why could you break I, that down for I me? I guess sorry, I'm just I'm sort of saying, okay. why is it... In all over the world, in different cultures, there is a notion of a God. Um, why is it in this day and age we find that so hard to entertain? What has happened in culture mm. that certain voices say that that somehow that is now an ir irrational proposition right. and i say again that is predominantly in the west i do not hear that those conversations are happening in the same way in other parts of the world where actually the christian church and i, I would imagine other faiths are growing rapidly so mm. this is probably primarily a western 
sort of concern. That, that that's it, really interesting. That it's and now that yeah. you've said that, thinking about it, you, that's definitely right. Because I'm thinking about the Philippines specifically. Yeah. And me just uttering science into the conversation, it's like, okay, but this is so our belief, and you yes. Know, and there's no clash, uh, one might yeah. suggest. There may be points of tension, sure, but it is possible for people in other places to hold all those things together mm -hmm. in their world. It doesn't world. encourage divisiveness. Yeah, and yeah. somehow this way, this uh, being open to there being a spiritual dimension of life has been shut down and treated as irrational. Mm. Now, I don't regard myself as an irrational person. I, I, I believe God is real. I, I believe that there is a, a dimension to life that we can't see or necessarily explain but we can receive from experience you could call it love you could call it the holy spirit mm. but but why does that make me so irrational i i just i'm a thoughtful person mm. who's currently studying for my fourth degree i am not an idiot mm. and yet the general sort of assumption is that that is an irrational way of thinking and and i just feel like I'm not so, I think it's the conditions of the culture today mm. that has decided that's irrational. Mm. And like I say, I would look to other parts yeah. of the world, say, well, it's not regarded as irrational there. Unless, of course, in the in the West, we're saying, what, are we more evolved? That we've outgrown mm. religion? Uh, see, or I don't are we a bit know. more arrogant? Mm. Yeah, maybe. And I don't know if I find myself in that pos exact position more so than you, but because mm. I... I mean, I, I am in this space where I'm trying to find meaning and God, I'm trying to find the capacity for faith in my life. Yeah. There are people who will make me think that I'm being kind of irrational and yeah. a little bit ridiculous and being in that space now as a woman in my 30s who's, who's had children and whatever. And it's like, but why do you think that? That confuses me. Yeah. And... It's almost, I I find it offensive to when people say it's not real. Yeah. All of it is, you yeah. know, is a load of whatever. Yeah. And it's, but you're not giving me an intelligent yeah. point of view here. You're just simply saying. Yeah. What's, um, what am I trying to say? It's almost like they're the ones being irrational because you're not thinking anymore, mm. you know, and it's and this is you cannot possibly say to a person who is trying to find faith, where faith is very present in their lives. It's not real. That's very offensive. Yeah. You know, how, yeah. how do you handle that skepticism? Does it happen to you often? Because um, I suppose you're in a certain settings every day yeah and I yeah don't know. so i'm overexposed to people of faith i um i'm very grateful a lot of my close friends are not people of faith which is helpful for me because it's i mm. i as i say i know some normal people um <laughs> and actually i i do also i regularly find if i go to a party for example and you know you make small talk when you meet people and you get around to that and what do you do you go oh, i'm a vicar and the mm. first thing people do is apologize they go like oh i'm i'm oh i'm not i don't believe i'm very sorry i don't ever come to church right. and i always go you don't need to apologize you're normal i'm the one who's abnormal i recognize i'm in the the minority um, I think I do understand some of the skepticism. A uh, skepticism. I think some of it is um, there's a lot of distrust of institutions. Full stop. Mm -hmm. it, in today's world, um, and rightly so, because a lot of institutions have abused their power. 
and so the church has not been the kind of representative of Christ that perhaps it could or should have been yeah. and I do think some of the skepticism comes from that mm-hmm. I, I also think we're all wired up a bit differently and um I am a person who's quite connected to sort of questions of like human meaning mm-hmm. and purpose um and I think other people are just not wired in the same way they, they're not they may not search for those things. They, like your mm. stepdad, might be just a bit more straightforward. Like, mm. that's not my matter area of concern. But I do have lots of friends who don't say they have a faith. Mm. But my goodness, they think about the ethical choices they make mm. and are often um, living very generous lives, as in um, putting themselves out to live well. So the choices they make are limiting harm on others. Right. Um, that's not exclusive to Christians or to people of faith. Um, yeah, so uh, very occasionally, I think I would. I don't. I don't actually feel offended often if people mm. are skeptical. But but like you've said, I think there is something about saying. I don't see that it's um, illegitimate to think mm. about questions of faith or spirituality mm. or meaning. And I think it's being open as well to even listening to conversation that we're having now. Um, I was watching another podcast um just to get some um inspiration about yeah. how i would uh, apply this today and i heard some i heard a, a part of a conversation where they were saying that there's been a decline in religion in the last 30 years yeah and then the woman said yes but in its place is an increase of anxiety and depression okay and and it's true because yeah. you know in the last 30 to 40 you cannot just blame that simply on the internet yeah people are feeling lack of connection that's true yeah to what people can't tell you exactly what and it's people lacking structure in their lives and i feel like Mm. religion can give you that yeah and i think one of the drawbacks is that i'm you know i'm not sure people are looking for that it to the, uh, they're not looking to the church anymore mm. for that i think you can get that from god and in some cases you can get it from the church um i've got a number of friends who who would say for example um oh i'm quite interested in uh, buddhist ideas right oh i read I, I, I read some buddhist readings i'm spiritual but i'm not religious yeah, okay. how often do you hear yeah, that? it's classic but <laughs> but you know so for someone like me then i have to ask what is the Christian church not doing or not being or what have we done that people don't think you can find spiritual connection in the mm. church? So something has gone wrong. And, and you know, the church has got to own its part in that. Mm. And maybe as well, um, people are often, they're looking to alternative places to find that spiritual yeah. connection. And perhaps the church, particularly the Church of England, has been too mainstream and too aligned with, um, you know, it's a state church, right. for example, bishops are in the House of Lords. Sometimes they're a, 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 a voice for good. At other times, I think people have felt the church hasn't used that role well. Mm. So it's interesting to me that what I th- the riches that I think the Christian faith has, people are not looking to church to find it anymore. They are looking elsewhere. Moving away from yeah. organised organized yeah. religion yeah yeah and and i mean don't get me wrong I, again i think there's value in organized religion because we talk about the church as being the family of god and i like i like belonging to a body of people that i may not choose to spend right. time with because right. I, I actually think there's something good and good and beautiful about that about bringing people of difference together and learning to love each other even if we find each other tricky 
Wow. Um, I, I think for me, that's like a real picture of what the world should be like. Hmm. I don't know why, but I wasn't expecting that answer. I don't okay. know what I was expecting, but that's yeah. very interesting. Um, so we're still on about science and religion. So what what is your, what would you say is the church's stance on like ethical dilemmas where science intervention is necessary, such as genetic engineering, AI, end of life care, abortion, things like that? Small question. Um, well, one of the things I have learned by being a vicar is that you can think you know what you think about an ethical issue and then you sit down with another human in front of you yeah. or two or three people who tell you about something that is happening in their lives and they're s wanting somebody to listen to help them make sense of what's going on, perhaps to help them reach a place of decision. And the thing that I've learned is in the course of hearing people's stories, I have found myself thinking, oh, maybe I don't believe the same thing anymore because there is something about their lived experience mm. that is different to say, learning about an ethical issue in an RE lesson or a theology lecture. Right. And um, we are very complex as people and we deserve to be treated with honor and value and taken seriously and the complexity of our emotions deserve to be taken seriously so i could find myself in a position for example um on the same ethical issue where one day i might lean in one direction and the other day i might lean in another direction and it's to do with the people in front of me and also in that moment my sense of god's presence and of your compassion kicks yeah. in. Mm. so I simply couldn't say my view in this case is this and my view in this on this issue is this because and 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 I'm also not saying I'm not saying there's no right or wrong I'm saying life is very complex and I'm not sure always how helpful it is if we are taking clear decisions mm. um if we if if I give an edict this is wrong anybody who's been in that position if I if, yeah whatever it you know abortion if I say abortion is wrong any of the people that are listening to this that have experienced having an abortion or their partner having mm. an abortion immediately are alienated. And how is that helpful? Isn't it much more helpful to say, I have listened to people who have experienced abortion and it's very complex. Mm. That's, that is my, that's my truth, Jenny. That's what I have heard. It's complex. <laughs> so and the thing is, you answered that so beautifully um but i tried to because i was having a conversation yesterday and i was thinking i want to ask about an ethical issue like abortion yeah but i said i don't really want to say yeah the word abortion because i feel like it's too sensitive or whatever yeah and i want to i sort of don't i also don't i'm trying to be wary of you and now yeah. that i um I can now, I'm getting to know you as a person talking to you now and I can see that you are answering things very honestly and as a human being. And there are Christians who would give you a line and say they believe that abortion is wrong. Mm. I, I'm telling you that in my journey, I have found my views have been shaped by listening to people's stories mm. and by understanding that things are complex. Mm. And, and so I have come to a place of, 
I can live with that greyness. I don't need a black and white answer. I can live with the grey and the complexity. There are, there, you know, there are issues where I'll tell you I've got a view. Do I think Russia's invasion of Ukraine is right or wrong? <laughs> I think it's wrong, Jenny. So yeah. um, do, I, uh, do I think Donald Trump is a, a, a helpful presence in American politics? No, I don't think he is. I think much of what he is and stands for is wrong. So I can, I'm going to tell you on some politi political issues, yeah. I have a strong view. When it's this stuff that is about... When I have seen people weep in front of me, mm. it becomes much more real. Um, yeah. 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 That And that's the realness of something can yeah. really make you and it's also, shift you as a person. Yeah, it means I'm a learning, growing person mm. as well. Um, and I th I'm I shaped by my own experiences, mm. but actually I'm also shaped by hearing the stories mm. of others. And I think just talking about being shaped by experience, when I lost my stepdad, that was the first time that I really s sort of thought about my own immortality. Yeah. And I know it sounds maybe a bit silly as an adult, but I thought that this is, it's it really shifted me as a person. Yeah. And why, why to be honest, why I'm doing this whole podcast, na podcast now, because I have so many questions and I want to learn. Mm. And I, I felt like I was just kind of living life yeah. as a person who not didn't really care about any anything, but you know, just a little bit ignorant, maybe. I don't know. Or it, I, I think so certain experiences shifts you, and then yes. be, and obviously seeing him yep. as yep. another human being, regardless of. I think I would have felt the same if it was a stranger. Yeah. But you know, it it happened to me because he. I saw that with my own yeah. eyes. He took his last breath with me, and yeah, yeah. I think ish. Sort of experiences of life, by which I mean birth, death, mm. and suffering, right. are formative experiences. And I, I don't think you were ignorant before, because I, I think I wouldn't want to be dismissive of that, Jenny. Yeah, yeah. But I think when we experience either giving birth or someone we love giving birth or um, becoming an adoptive parent, whatever, that experience of new life mm. and of death and of suffering, they do make you question for some people. What is this all about? What is it for? How? Where do I put that in myself? How do I live with the things I've seen? And one of the things I love most about being a vicar is you do accompany people at the end of their life mm. and you have the, the privilege of taking funeral services for people. Mm. And the end of life is something that's horrific at times and also beautiful and peaceful and mystical I, I can't I can't quite reach mm. for it other than to say having been like yourself with people who've died I am strongly convicted that there is more to life than we can mm. see and touch now so with because you live this life what's your relationship with death are you um are you peaceful with it uh, does it give you anxiety or peaceful with it to the extent that I haven't yet lost someone very close to right. me um, just grandparents and and some sort of you know friends that are not close friends so at some point I'm going to have a different experience with death when somebody closer dies so I think at that point that will change my experience um, I'm not frightened of death because I see that it is part of life um, but I also see that it's part of life that when people experience death it feels wrong and strangely even though death is natural as it were yeah 
when you feel it and live the experience of grief, it feels incredibly unnatural, by which I mean it feels that it shouldn't be this way. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So how is it that we all know that we're going to die and yet when someone dies, it feels life just shouldn't be like this? Mm. Um, So, But I I just want to add to that because I remember when my stepdad got his diagnosis and he was basically told, you've got nine months. And I did a podcast episode about grieving. Yeah. And one of the stages was denial yeah and we came to realize that that denial stage actually came from others and not from him because he knew yeah that he was going yeah and i remember i had a conversation where i was like how do you actually feel dad like after hearing that yeah and he said it he said it strangely i actually feel like um he explained it in a non-religious way but i i think what he was trying to say is he felt oneness almost in everything because it was time to let go yeah and i read this book and it was saying that actually death is one of the most peaceful times in your life yeah because that's when you know everything just uh you can't think about anything else can you really um but I guess a lot of people as well, they find comfort in death because there's a promise of heaven. Yeah. So what uh, what's your relationship with that? Do you... Um, that's another great question. I think um, I'm not so keen on the image of heaven of, you know, we're all floating around in the sky on a cloud <laughs> and because it looks boring. Um, I have no interest in that sort of notion mm. of heaven. Uh, in the Bible, there's a, if you if you looked at the big story of the Bible, at the beginning of the Bible is the story of creation, and then at the very end of the Bible, in the last book, Revelation, it talks about new creation. It talks about new, <coughs> pardon me, new heavens and new earth, and God making all things new. And so, when in the Lord's Prayer we pray, uh, "Your kingdom, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be yeah. done on earth as it is in heaven," what yeah. we're basically saying is, <coughs> God, bring together heaven and earth. So so make earth the way that it should be. That's what that prayer is actually saying. And I guess I feel that, that heaven is this new creation where this wonderful world of which we're a part is somehow transformed. So all the things I love about life now, yeah. uh, f- being outside in nature, swimming, friends food wine Mm. i think all of those things are part of the life of heaven because they will be part of this world that has been restored and made new Mm. and i i also think i like working i think there will be work in heaven by which i mean meaningful things for us to do where we feel like Mm. we are making a difference and contributing um which are rightly rewarded so no kind of injustice in terms of some things being valued more than others so that's my kind of picture of heaven and, and i I often describe myself as having a very forward focused faith because I I really hold on to this idea that one thing one day everything will be put right. So when I mm. see stuff on the news and I just have that that weight that is on us and that despair like our world is such a mess. I actually am driven by this idea of I do believe God will be put put it right and I also believe God's asking me to work with him with them now to bring that about. So something like climate change, for example, my daughter 
she's like don't talk about it i've got climate anxiety mm. well i'm i sort of think i don't think god will let this wonderful world be destroyed i do think god will restore it but i also think i have a weight of responsibility to participate in that to care for the climate and so that people mm. are offered hope mm. because others are saying we can change things and things will be different mm. um so rather than like rather than it being like oh well i'm off to heaven who cares what yeah. happens here mm. actually it's quite the reverse yeah. you know if heaven's coming to earth mm. this place we're in now really matters and actually i would like to live in a better world now i don't want to mm. wait till i'm dead for that mm. um and I guess it's that um, how strong your hope is, because I feel like yeah. hope is a very weak word when we use it in our everyday language. You know, I hope the weather is nice tomorrow. Yeah. I hope I get that job. But hope means it's so strong when it comes to religion. But so, I mean, sometimes I'm very skeptical, not skeptical, um, pessimistic about, mm. you know, the unjustness of the world. So if, just for example, you're talking about climate change. So. Mm. Sometimes I do feel that weight of responsibility, but at the same time, I will look at things, I will read facts, think like four companies in the world are responsible for 83% of the world's carbon emissions. Yep. And I just think, how can little old me, who needs to drink through a paper straw, make a difference when there's literally people out there that are, that don't care about the state of the world the state of the planet and they mm. don't care that people are dying and you know they are not fixated on the just on the on the unjustness of the world and you mm. know they don't care about it as much as i do so now why should i be bothered yeah um and i suppose yeah do, do you feel like that's very I, d I definitely struggle with feeling small in the face yeah. of, and particularly in the face of um, big business um, and political systems that yeah. I feel are unjust. But what choice do I have? If I just say, oh, well, I, I can't make any difference anyway, so, well, stuff it, I'll just do mm. my own thing. Oh, who cares? That Then there's an inauthenticity in that yeah. because it, so either my behavior matters or it doesn't. So I've got, there's got to be some um, personal integrity, I think. Right. Um, right. And certain people, I, I think, have got particular vocations mm. to particular things. So um, it may be that there are those who are actually called to work in those big companies mm. to be the voice that says, I wonder if we need to revisit our values as a company. Right. Um, and but also, you know, we, we can work out where we mm. invest our money, for example. So who we bank with. How do they manage their investments? Mm. Those small things do begin to have cumulative power. But also I think God's got to have people on the inside as well. So much as I struggle with politics at the moment, we need good people of faith, of any faith, if they are good people who are going to seek to live well, mm. um, to love their neighbour, to mm. use that Christian language, then we want both people in the room making the decisions. Mm. Mm. And the thing is, like, and to the the opposite of what I said earlier, I have these mo these profound moments where I mm. think, gosh, like I actually do everything that I do actually matters. When I think about some, um, how can somebody who extended their kindness to me have this ripple effect mm. on me and making me feel, and it's ma it makes me feel absolutely wonderful. Like why can't I do that? other people how can i possibly extend yeah. that 
same kindness and compassion to other people and I try and it's like uh, I try and do that I need to have like a mantra in my life where I can say that to myself constantly whenever I can feel myself going I, I think we've also got to be real as well which is we do get tired. We do need to care for ourselves. Mm. We can't be the savior. We're not the savior. Mm. I mean, obviously in my Christian perspective, I'm like, Christ is the savior. Mm. Um, so I want to play my part, but I don't, I'm not gonna berate myself right. if there's a day where I think I did not live as well today as I could. Mm. Um, and I, I am also a work in progress. You are a work in progress. I think we are allowed to be human. Human. And I think that's all right. But maybe I really value conversations like this because this is the stuff that shapes us, redirects us. Mm. Um, And honestly, I feel I feel completely. uh, What's the word for it? Uh, Just inspired, I guess. There's a word for it. And I looked at it. Is it numinism? There's the numinous of God, the otherness of God. Yeah. Yeah. after every episode we don't necessarily have to talk about religion or anything i feel that with any conversation that i have with somebody even something that's not recorded on a podcast i could just be talking to a friend and i just think wow your story is just so yeah brilliant and amazing and it's make you you don't understand how mm. you know how you make you a great vicar own. that is a great vicar <laughs> genuinely that's often how i feel whenever i meet people i'm like oh they're amazing and then I, I, over the dinner table i'll be like oh, i did a funeral i'll definitely today. try to be a, a cool one like yeah. you that's for sure the pension's not very good though so you know stick with teaching okay so um oh actually let me um ask this question because it slips nicely with what we just talked about um do you see a significant difference between the amount of women, men and women in, in faith um I think there's traditionally been a perception that that church attendees are in the Church of England. You know, there's mm. a stereotype that it's a bunch of uh, white old ladies. Um, <laughs> I think you only have to go into like a Pentecostal church in London to see that that is not true. Um, mm. It is way more diverse mm. and younger and vibrant. Um, I've always found it interesting that. If church, if some churches are female dominated, how is that? How did that happen? Given that for centuries church leadership was male, yeah. you know, female church leadership's relatively mm. recent. Although there are some New Testament examples mm. of women leading in the church, but I've always found that an interesting sort of, di- mm. you know, kind of dynamic. Um, I think in the Church of England now the number of people who are going forward to be ordained to become, you know, priests, vicars. Mm are a a bit more balanced although interestingly uh there are fewer younger women and i also think there are probably more of the women who are what's called self-supporting ministers so they don't get paid but they've perhaps had another career first and they're in a position where they can offer time to the church and don't need to be paid for it so Mm. there's a possible possibility i would say if you looked at the stats and, and somebody may well correct me but that that women's ministry is not being financially rewarded in the same as men's. And that may be to do with women having families, career breaks, partner being the the breadwinner, if if that's the family setting. Kind of the same dilemmas that we have in the modern workplace, isn't it? Because we were talking about nursery fees earlier, and I just, you know, I don't blame women for staying at home with their children because childcare fees put you up. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It really does. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, I want to move on to um, actually, let me ask this one last question. Um, how do you approach the topic of same sex marriage and gender ident- identity while staying true to religious teachings? So the first thing that I would say is that there are a number of ways of interpreting religious uh, teachings. Mm. So within the Church of England, there are a full spectrum of beliefs from, at the one end, those who believe that um, same-sex relationships are not what God intended Mm -hmm. and are, are not right. And then at the other end of the spectrum, are, for example, vicars who are gay and are in civil partnerships right. and living with their partner mm. um, and would like God to to bless their union. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing to say that I think there are a range of views on the issues of about sort of sexual identity, um, gender identity, um, and you will find every view in the church in exactly the same way that you would find every view in you know the world around us um again i think for me personally i already said earlier that a lot of my thinking is shaped it is shaped by the bible but it is also shaped by experience too and i noticed that when my children were little i started talking to them in different way about relationships so for example i think there was uh, another family at school perhaps where um it was a same-sex couple and I'm you know may have talked about sort of so-and-so's got two mummies yeah. and I, I found myself noticing that actually when my children were little I didn't know if they're going to be gay or straight or bi or whatever um what I wanted them to know is that they are loved and also that they're loved by God so that desire for them to grow up knowing that they're loved changed the way that I spoke mm. um because I wanted them always to know that they are always welcome at home. Mm. They're always welcomed by God. Um, so that is an interesting thing that being a parent sort mm. of shaped. And I find myself now in a place where the world has changed rapidly in the last 30 years. Having seen people I know and also people I know don't know from a distance coming to terms with who they are in this world Mm. it looks to me that if you are gay lesbian bi insert here any other label that you find a helpful label that it is a more challenging journey than the journey that i have been on as an adolescent just becoming an adult woman Mm -hmm. and um do those people need love yes Mm. welcome yes acceptance yes um Mm. And and the church that I lead is a church where we welcome everybody. Mm. Some people would find that a difficult position and will, you know, may well mm. want to come back and say, but what about this verse in the Bible? I, I am looking really at the big picture of who do I believe God is? Mm. Who do I believe the person of Jesus is? And what is what is God doing in the world? Is God wanting to draw people to God's self? Or is God drawing a hard line where you can't come any closer unless you're this? Right. And I guess fundamentally... It's not my business to tell people how to live or to change their the way they live. Mm. There are certain things, I've already said the issue of male violence, um, 
where I would say, I believe that is fundamentally wrong and not of God. But there are other things where I think, actually, I, I want people to be in relationship with God. And then God can bring mm. the love, the acceptance, the welcome, mm. the um, restoration, the healing, the transformation. But it's not up for me to, to, to me to say what that is. Mm. I think that I, as a, a, a human, need transformation, healing, restoration, wholeness, all of those. We all do. Um, I, I think it's a shame if we're obsessing over certain groups in society when maybe God wants to work with all of us right, in yeah. some way. But but I don't think it's my job mm. to say, and this is what God says to you. I'm mm. like, maybe we'll let God speak for God's self. Right, right. And when I um, told a few people that I am, I was doing this podcast with you, they said, why don't you have so-and-so on who is gay? And I said that, what that then that becomes is I am clearly looking for controversial sound bites, yeah, and it takes away from actually us learning your point of view mm. as a human being, not just as a reverend but as a human being and yeah. and that's the thing I feel like that's what a lot of social media is about now it's about the controversy and i need to stay true to myself because i'm still learning yeah and i need to learn from you and just like how i will have a conversation because i have i have many gay friends and we clash about some things yeah. but it doesn't make me like them any less as a person because i'm it yeah i need to find that human being inside of me thinking that we have this yeah connection as people you yeah. know and yes and what is it about, why do we have to, uh, sometimes labels are helpful, identity matters. Mm. But I, I agree, if those identities stop us engaging with one another as humans, that feels very challenging to me. Mm. So, I mean, I am, uh, I am at the end of the church spectrum where the Church of England are currently trying to think through whether we can offer services of blessing to right. same-sex couples. Um, when that becomes possible, that is something that I would like to do because fundamentally I think if people want to commit to each other for the rest of their lives, um, that is a good thing. Mm. That is a positive thing. And it's thing. another people chance for you to connect yeah. with someone else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and also being in a long-term relationship is hard mm. and therefore mm. if you, you need all the help you can get. Mm. So in the sense of if, if couples come saying, will you pray for us because we want to commit our lives to each other, I think I can say... Yes, I can. Um, mm. And I, I think it's brilliant if people want to be together for the rest of their lives. Mm. So. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank I you for that. And yeah. th these are all ones where you feel like, you know, further further conversation yeah. is important. I think it's really interesting what you've said about we exist in a kind of soundbite, soundbite culture. Yeah. Um, because I could bring in a range of Christians to this conversation who would say, you know, I could bring in the gay vicar, uh, the lesbian yeah, vicar. Yeah. Um, I could bring in the the gay celibate vicar, mm. who who recognises they they are attracted to other men but chooses not to live in that way. Mm. I could bring in the Christian who is a engaged in all sorts of brilliant work mm. in the community, but believes that you know um, gay marriage is not right. Mm. You know, so th that's why I said there's no one view. It's very complex and grey, and that's you know. So this idea of meeting as humans feels much more helpful mm. okay I, <laughs> I don't know if this is the right topic to go on to next but I want to talk about pride and sin yeah 
Um, I want to read a uh, little bit from this book. Have you read it? Years ago. Yeah. So it's called uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Uh, those of you who may not know who he is, um, he wrote the Nani books, didn't he? That's right. And he is, uh, this book is one of the most read books on uh, on the planet. And I can actually see why after reading it. And he, um, so C.S. Lewis was an atheist mm. wh who found faith in Christianity quite later on in life and then he wrote this book so I want to read oh no I've lost the um I've lost the page that I was on um otherwise you'll have to try and summarize yeah it. oh here it is okay in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore you know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. I think what he's talking about there is pride. Mm. Um, why do you, th what do you think he meant by that? So one of the things I think I hear in that quote is the idea that God is the creator and we are the created. Mm. And I think sometimes human pride, human sin is to kind of put ourselves on a par with the creator. So we sort of stop knowing our rightful place, right. as it were. And and I'm not suggesting that, you know, God is is big and we're sort of sniveling and, and mm. unworthy and nothing. I'm not thinking that at all, because actually we're repeatedly told that God delights in us mm. um, because God's created us. We're his work of art. Um, I think the difference is just understanding that that is the natural order. Um, yeah, he's the creator. We're created to be in relationship with him. Mm. And I guess that point when you start thinking, well, I, I know more than God or I, I can see things more than God can. Um, I think that's the, the sense. Re being the that. resistance to surrender to a higher power, yeah. isn't it? Um, and so you used the word surrender earlier. And I, I'm when you used it, I was thinking it's very unusual to use that word. Mm. And it, I don't think it has positive connotations, you know. See, for me, I use that word a lot for myself. Like, I think yeah. whenever I come across, um, whenever I, I have these questions that go unanswered, I think you need, you need to surrender. Yeah. I, I use that word a I lot. Think, I actually think it's really helpful. And I, I almost can't put into words, but instinctively I feel like, yeah, that's a good word. That mm. sometimes we don't know it all. Um, yeah, we just don't, and mm. and actually, even if there, if it turns out there isn't a God, mm. which is okay, entirely possible, we still don't know it all, and mm. there is a lot to be said for just that kind of humility of yeah. There's stuff in life I don't understand, mm. never will, and I think also people struggle with that notion because they have a problem with authority. Yeah, 
And that would go back. I'd, I'd go back there. Just as you said that as well, I was beginning to formulate the same thought that um, I'm happy to submit to God because I have confidence that God will not abuse his authority, right. uh, his power. So, and one of the problems we have is in the rest of life, if you know your place, that again is a word, is a phrase that's not a good phrase because it has connotations of people being um, oppressed, um, mm. exploited, mm. a handful of people in power who um, benefit from the exploitation of the masses. And and I, I just I'm don't. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm having this profound moment as well where you've just said god doesn't abuse his power yeah and it's made me realize that because we see it so frequently now and yeah. it's because people who abuse their power sometimes get carried away and might and what c.s lewis was talking about there they think they're god yeah yeah and they get carried away with yeah. the power and yeah. yeah and i that's not the god that i know it, it, that would mm. abuse that power so i have confidence knowing my place with God, submitting mm. myself, surrendering to God because mm. I trust God. And and for me, that is anchored in the person of Jesus and particularly the story of Easter and, and the crucifixion of Jesus mm. because what kind of God sends a saviour who allows himself to be killed? I just think it's the most counterintuitive story mm. ever. Mm. Um, and, and one of the reasons that there was... Um, sort of opposition to Jesus is because at the time the people were expecting a savior, but they thought he would be like a conquering <coughs> military hero that would kind of come and um, galvanize the people, mm. gal galvanize resistance, and then and, and effectively defeat the, the Romans and drive them out. Mm. Um, and yet what happens is Jesus allows himself to be killed. So for me, I hold on to that the notion of this God who gives up power. Well, firstly, gives up power by coming in the person of Christ and becoming human, doesn't stay distant from the world, mm. but enters into the world. And then secondly, gives up power. So that those two things speak of the nature of God. Mm. I'm happy, therefore, to be a human created by God under the authority mm. of God, because I like what I see God doing. God enters in to be with his people, mm. and then God offers himself in the person of Christ on the cross. Um, he doesn't take power. He doesn't exploit power. Mm. He doesn't exert power. He offers himself. Mm. I love. I just love that. That's like yeah. the heart of it for me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I just think again in this world yeah. where we see so many abuses of power, mm. and we are rightly skeptical, that is the savior who's at the heart yeah. of the faith that I have. Wow. Yeah. And the thing is that they don't realize themselves how self-destructive it is until. Mm. the time comes i guess um and also i think that a lot of um influences in the world now it kind of um it encourages us to always think in what's the word i'm like parochial terms yeah my race yeah. my religion my plans my and it encourages self-centeredness and yeah. the thing is i've i've i there are times in my life where I've literally only thought about me and I, mm. I did, you know, I would say it was, was selfish times and that never made me feel good okay, thinking about it. You know, it's, yeah. um, it's always at the time yeah. it feels good, but you, ne you never think about the consequences of things. And I guess that's yeah. how people uh, might, might be operating now who are abusing their power. Yeah. And I sometimes think 
you know, about all these um, leaders who believe that they are doing the right thing, mm. do they go home and look in the mirror and think, I've lost touch with reality. Yeah, I wonder that. You know, and like, and again, the surrender thing, I need to surrender to yeah. what I'm actually doing now and humble myself. And, you know, I'm not thinking about it in, um, in a big term like, wars and things like that i think and every everyday people should should mm. do that we need to look in the mirror and think yeah you know what yeah and i think you know every week in church part of the church of england service is we have a prayer of confession mm. and and exactly what you've just described there feels to me captures the heart of that this is a moment where i just i look in the mirror and i think all these things in the world around mm. me that i hate and wish were different you know how can I be different mm. that might mean the world is different? Um, mm. I like that idea. Just I'm going to look in the mirror and, yeah. and see maybe yeah. what needs to change. Because it's, it's so easy to get lost in the superficial. Yeah. It's so, especially now with the internet and you get so, even with think doing this podcast now, I think uh, I was kind of obsessing at first about the numbers side of it. Yeah. And then I think, well, what could I do to get more numbers? It doesn't matter to me anymore because anyone who wants to listen will. Yeah. And yeah. But no, that was great. Thank you for that. Um, I want to move on to, we, so we were talking about pride and mm -hmm. sin and I want to talk about forgiveness because yeah. this was about 40% of the wow. questions that I got. And I think people are having a really, really hard time with it. And, and I actually received a uh, letter from someone. Yeah. Um, this is somebody that I know. Yeah. And I've had many conversations with him about his past. Mm -hmm. And it's gotten to the point now where it's like, okay, this is still on your mind. And I don't know how yeah. to really um, comfort you anymore. And, you know, I s I'm still... And, uh, but I want to, that's the thing. And I, when, I, when I said that I'm having this conversation with you today, he, he wrote this to me. So, dear Reverend, I am a 35-year-old male who found faith through Christianity three years ago after meeting my wife. As a young man, I had no structure in my life, lacked morals in some areas, and was what I can only now describe as someone who lived an outrageously promiscuous lifestyle. Even though I have done my best to make amends and try to lead a life of redemption, forgiveness, sorry, forgiveness for myself has been very hard to come by. Mm. I have been assured many times over, over by my pastor, community and family after being completely honest and open that I must be easier. Uh, and after being completely honest and open and they have told me that I must be easier on myself. However, the guilt haunts me regularly, intensifying after having my second daughter a few months ago. What plays in my head is the thought of my daughters being treated the same as I have wronged women in the past. My question to you is, do you have specific guidance to practice forgiveness for ourselves as easily as I can extend it to others? Wow. Gosh, that's nearly moved me <laughs> to tears. And, and yeah. I mean, this goes back to exactly what I was saying earlier about you hear people's stories and it shapes, you can't come out with platitudes, it shapes you. And the judgment becomes yeah. obsolete because it's now you're pouring your heart out yeah. to me. And he, he, he um, we have this conversation 
regularly and like he struggles with it yeah and i just i you know there was a one really important detail right at the start was he said he'd had a childhood without a lot of structure so in one phrase there was there was like a, a short lifetime i would imagine of challenges mm. um and the reality is that he's linked it together. That promiscuous behaviour in part was an expression of what had happened or what hadn't happened mm. in his childhood. I guess I would say to him, um, find that little boy. Mm. And what does that little boy need to hear? Yeah. Because I would say yeah. that little boy needs to hear you are precious, you are loved. Mm. You are safe. You matter. Mm. You're good. Yeah. And really, the person that needs tending to is not the adult self. Is actually yeah. the little boy. Yeah. That didn't get what he needed, mm. and then went looking for it in unhelpful ways. And I would think if he can find that little boy mm. and give him the love that he needs, he might find that his adult self then receives that love and mm. can begin to forgi forgive himself. Mm. Because that, I think, is at the heart of it, to mm, be honest. That's, that's um, really beautiful. And I think as well, when he worries about, I think because he's got daughters, yeah. and I said to him, how do you know? So, because living everyday life takes courage you don't know if the person that you love who's going out the door is safe for the day yeah you don't know if they're coming home yeah safe tonight you know it's i said you have to understand that you this awareness has brought you to this stage in your life yeah and but you don't know what's going to happen to her that's out of your control yeah and you cannot keep stressing yourself about yeah. things that are out of your control and what is in your control is raising whether you have sons or daughters mm. uh is is raising children to know um you are precious your body is good your body is yours um your views matter mm. you have a voice and we welcome you using it you know your own mind, be confident, all of that, because the reality is then in those mm. potential situations of harm or exploitation, mm. um, a person feels able to say no, or this is not right mm. for me, or your behavior is not acceptable. Mm. Um, and it uh, because we've been friends for a very long time, I knew him in this, on this um, during yeah. this promiscuous stage. And at the time, it was almost like, we were laughing about it because it's you know oh oh here you go again you know whatever whatever yeah and now now that he is at this stage i see people in a different completely different light because i think to myself yeah you are so if i if somebody does something that i don't agree with i do think in my head i'm gonna give you time because you yeah don't realize not necessarily the harm but how you're gonna feel about this yeah. i don't feel right about what you're doing but yeah. you will come to that and you will redeem yeah. yourself in ways that you can and the reality is about. you know what obviously his experience was he's he's recognized the fact it was destructive for others mm. but there was obviously a sense in which it has been destructive for him, for him. as well yeah um 
Yeah. Mm. And uh, the thing is, I just don't want hit all of this to keep repeating in his head and yeah. it, and sort of take away from the joy of his yeah. marriage and his children and his family now. So yeah, uh, but I would say yeah. these things are always deep rooted, mm. and it's like locate that little boy because what that little boy experienced is what sent that young man out to behave in that way. Mm. So you need to find the little boy in the midst of it all. Because it sounds like the, the man has got himself together. Yeah, I mean, and that absolutely. is an amazing, amazing story. Absolutely. But that little boy needs yeah. somebody to kind of mm. hold him and love him. Mm. And that's where the heart and of I the forgiveness And I wanted him to come, come on the podcast, but he said, when I feel less embarrassed yeah. about what I did and when I've healed from it, yeah. that's what he told me. Um, I want to move on to the last thing, which is um, purpose. Yeah. Uh, do you believe that everyone has a calling? Yeah, I, I believe, well, because I actually just sort of think we are, you know, <laughs> we're all called, in, in my Christian view, mm. to live for God, by which I mean loving God, loving our neighbour, loving ourselves. And that then becomes expressed in a whole range of ways. So you can do that as a um, security guard, uh, as a Uber driver, as a lawyer, as a nurse, you know, but those, as a Christian, mm. those are your fundamental driving principles and you can honour God in so many different ways. Mm. Do we all have a specific calling and vocation? Not really sure because uh, real, realistically people do all sorts of things with their lives. Mm. You know, my dad had one job for like 40 years mm. or something. Um and that is not the norm anymore. Actually, people do all sorts of things. Mm. And I think yeah. it's also, when I say a calling, people sometimes confuse that with success. Yeah. So success is different because you success is, uh, you can measure that, can't yeah. you? Or there's stages of that and whatever your perception of success is, yeah, it's very different. Yeah, that's what I was different. about to say. What, what is success? Um, mm. I, I guess really it's sort of, I hope everybody can find something in life that gives them fulfillment, mm. that gives them life. Because for some people, the work that they're paid for does give them a sense of, f of life and fulfillment, and for others, it doesn't. Um, and some, some work is not great for humans, mm. Mm. Um, but I sort of hope there can be... Uh, well, first of all, I hope that we can offer dignity through work. I really think that is important. But I would hope that people can find something life-giving in another part of life, mm. um, which I think is different to does everyone have a calling? No, I, I suppose I'm more interested in can everyone live well? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah. I think you can honour God, yeah. honour neighbour and love mm. yourself in mm. almost anything. And I think um, it's also my perception of money has changed yeah. a lot over the years because you, when I meet people from all different walks of life, I... I know people who have money and are completely and utterly, utterly miserable, miserable. Yeah. And, and I used to wonder how, how did this happen? And now yeah. I've, you know, now that I see now that I, and then there's people who are in faith. Yeah. Um, a lot of my Christian friends, they live very humbly. Yeah. And, but they have their faith yeah. and that's very, very important to them. And, yeah, it's it's de definitely for me is it is the at the center of my identity, and it is the thing that drives me. Mm. It, um, uh, but it's hard. It, I can it's, that's a subjective view because mm. I can only be me, and I can only I can I can see other people's experiences, but I can't really live right, their lives. Right. So I can, but I know for me, 
that is absolutely the core of who I am and drives everything mm. I do. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Mm. But I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm still also like, you know, shallow and um, frivolous. And <laughs> You're um, human. <laughs> I'm, but, but in a good, but also I'm like, I still enjoy just the stuff everybody enjoys. Yeah, like yeah. Um, family life really matters to me. Mm. Um, friends really matter to me. Having stuff I do in my spare time really matters to me. All of those things are core to my identity. But the driver mm. is absolutely faith. So I know that you are very certain about your path in life, but what yeah. would you be doing now if you didn't become a reverend? Yeah, um, so uh, before I left school, I mean, I loved art. I did have a place at art college, which I didn't take up. Mm. At that point, I was interested in being a sort of a theatre set designer. I have no oh, idea. Okay. Yeah. So I've got a creative dimension yeah, to who I am that yeah. gets a bit underused sometimes. I'm not really sure. Um, there's loads of jobs I look at with like envy, um, especially mm. the well-paid ones. I'm like, oh, that looks really good. <laughs> uh, and and as a vicar, actually, you know, you you live in your workplace. Mm. You're provided with a house, which is great, but also it means everything. If if you left your jo job, you lose your the community you live in, yeah. you lose the house that you live in, mm. you lose your income, you mm. lose the church community of which you're a part. Everything's all in together, which is quite intense sometimes. And I think so. that applies to everything because me working education now, because there's been yeah. times where I think maybe I, I would want to take a different path career wise. And then I think, oh, I do like working with teenagers. I mean, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. And some days, you know, it's very challenging, but when I really sit down and think about it, it's, it's actually rewarding, yeah. really. Um, as long as, but that takes effort from me. I have to, yeah. I have to really, really try. It doesn't, it doesn't always come natural. That, but that, I think that's part of vocation and calling, yeah. isn't it? I mean, even as a vicar, it's like, yeah, faith's my driver, but mm. I don't always, I love being a Christian. I don't always love being mm. a vicar. So mm. that they're just, you know, that even with a sense of calling, I still have to make an effort with mm. that. I still, I still choose to do it, if that makes mm. sense. I have to opt back into it. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so our, our last question for you from other people. Yeah. Um, what is one time when you knew that God was working in your life? Can you think of one time There's, where you yeah, thought... Yeah, there are so many, but the one I would give, it's actually quite a personal one. It was a few years ago, mm. and I was kind of... Um, working out some difficult stuff in my life and mm. was having a period of just struggling emotionally and struggling with anxiety and um i got really cross with god like and when i pray i mean I, i'm like no filter i massively just tell god what i right. think and i was really cross i was like every week you i stand up in church <laughs> and i preach these sermons about believing in the resurrection and the power to transform things and like mm. you need to change my life you need to and i was yeah. i was really angry there were some slightly strong words that mm. appeared in there that i should not use in this podcast <laughs> and um but i basically said why doesn't the god of resurrection like turn up in my life and bring some resurrection by which i meant like new life and freedom from the past and like a few years down the line i look back and go oh my goodness he really, really answered that prayer and brought some freedom that for a long time I never thought was possible. Um, so it's actually a very personal, sort of, I'm not giving the details because no, it'll be too personal. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it wasn't like an in the moment thing because mm. in the moment it was 
painful and difficult and like wrestling with God and life. Mm. But I look back now and think, my goodness, I I didn't just ask like humbly. I demanded of mm. God and God fully showed up. He listened. And mm. there has been such a sense of new life. Mm. And I, I feel like a different person as a result, even though I've been a Christian 35 mm. years, it's like constant experiences mm. of rebirth mm. and like constant experiences of going deeper into God, but also deeper into myself. Mm. It's, you know, like more, like I was saying, the um, response to the letter, you know, find that little boy, that was part of my experience. Mm. Find that, find that me, mm. that my story where I just needed to kind of find that mm. peace, put it all together, find that healing. And God honored my prayer. That's wonderful. Yeah. Do you say it to yourself whenever something like little blessings happen in your life? Oh yeah, I mean, not <laughs> because it happened to on me. On a daily basis. Um, yeah, because yeah. it happened to me not long ago. Um, I basically, I locked myself out of my flat and I was in a state of panic because yeah. I needed, uh, I didn't have my phone. I didn't have anything with me. I didn't have my car keys, anything. Oh, and no. I needed to like pick the children up. And I remember thinking I'm just a lost sheep now what do I actually do and I was thinking I'm, I'm going to pray okay. <laughs> and then I'm not joking yeah. all of a sudden this car you know um when they work in construction the car had a ladder right. on on like on top of it like carrying ladder on top of it and I was thinking this is God I'm sorry and then I went up to the guy and I luckily he was so kind and amazing and I was like please help me I've locked myself. It was a different place to what I was, where I'm living now, and because it, it's only a second floor flat, yeah. you could easily the window was open. Yeah, and I was like, please, please help me. I I'm locked out of my flat. I need to get my key. I need to go and pick my kid up from school or whatever. And he's like, don't worry, I, that's Aww. fine. I'll help you because he could see that I was so panicked. And yeah. then he literally, and I was like, I, I'm scared of heights. Can you do it? And he's yeah. like, okay. And then he climbed up the ladder and got my keys for me. And I thought, wow, that yeah. this came at this moment, you know. Yeah. And then I told my friend about it. And she was like, it's just coincidence. And I was like, really, do you think so? <laughs> because I think when, whenever something amazing happens to you in your everyday life, you should. Yeah. And I mean, I'm kind of like, it could be coincidence, right? Yeah. Or it could be the grace of God. Mm. What about if the grace of God is just permeating all things? What about if the grace is just there to be discovered? I would say on a daily basis, multiple times a day. I'm, if you heard me talking at dinner time, oh, and I felt God did this. I felt God yeah. said that. And, God, and then this happened and this happened and it was God and it felt it was of God. And you could change the language and you could say I'm talking about coincidences or you could say I'm talking about a kind of grace that's in mm. the world. But for me, that grace is of God. Um yeah, I, I, it's so frequent. Mm. I mean, it's all sorts of little things. Like I walked down, just literally on the way to do this podcast, I saw a man holding an old man's hand walking down the road. Mm. I don't know if he was a carer or a relative, but there was something about the tenderness of him guiding yeah. him down the road. I genuinely felt moved. And I just mm. thought, that is that is goodness, isn't it? Yeah. There's something good and beautiful about yeah. it. And I see God in that. And because there's, there's something there's, of God. There's a reason why a lot of things are moving. Like you could watch a short clip on social media about yep. someone just being simply kind and it moves you yeah. 
and you've got to remember that this is happening in real life it happens yeah, every yeah. day all around you but i think all those things connect me to the divine they connect me back yeah. to, to god or yeah. they reflect something of the person of mm. jesus or the character of god so mm. yeah all all the time i i also think once you start noticing it you're like you see it you see god everywhere you mm. know it's like it is having your eyes opened it mm. is enlightenment so I could talk to you all day. Likewise, um, the whole but, thing is really um, interesting. I just want to finish on this. I've got some quick fire questions for you. Okay. And tell me what comes into your mind and finish the sentence for me. Okay. Our greatest battle is? With ourselves. Mm. Say no more. <laughs> <laughs> Forgiveness is? Difficult. Racism is rooted from? white privilege and the misuse of power the world needs more love love is good thank you so much for this it's been i feel i actually feel i don't know how to say it it's been so profound and amazing so thank you so much for today i felt like little electric moments in the i conversation. did i, I can't describe I, it I, I was like oh this feels really like the air was charged connecting we were connecting yeah. um i just want to end with this um if you chose to listen to this podcast i hope that regardless of your beliefs and ambiguity within religion you still found connection and kindness between human beings Awareness and wisdom is limitless, like I said, and we are here for each other always. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Did that go on for a little too long? Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was wonderful. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you.